0: savings time we lost an hour we got we we have sprung forward and so you know whenever you're like oh man I'm gonna lose an hour of sleep will I be able to pay attention at church well when you have that thought I have the same thought like will I be able to preach can I think if I lose that hour and you know what sure enough it happened to me last night I was I I one of the the pets woke me up last night at about um 3.30, so it was actually 2.30. We changed our clocks before we went to sleep. And so then I was like, oh, of course, the night I lose an hour. I, I'm up in the middle of the night. And then I start thinking about it and stewing about it. I don't know how much sleep I got from that point on uh, till til now. So this afternoon has nap written all over it today. I'm going to go home, and, and, um, and I even have the house to myself today because my family's on the road, right? So I'm going to nap like... Uh, and then I'm going to kick the animal that woke me up last night, too, and make sure they don't sleep. Okay, well, we are in Mark chapter 4, and we're going to take verses 21 through 34 today. Jesus has been teaching about his kingdom. That's why he came, right? Jesus entered his creation to redeem his creation and to establish a new kingdom. And so he's now teaching here in Mark chapter 4 how this kingdom works. So if you want to know how the kingdom of God works... How the, how the gospel establishes this new kingdom and how it's going to play out. This is what Jesus is teaching about. Remember, when he came on the scene here in Mark 1, he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent, and believe in the gospel. And so now he's teaching how that kingdom works, how it's going to play out, and he does so often through the use of parables. And we remember parables are these really quick and simple stories that teach really big truths. And the one we studied last week is the parable of the sower. He's explaining why and how the gospel spreads and why some people can hear the gospel and believe and other people don't. It's like farming. That makes sense to everyone. And so he's teaching, you know, like when when the gospel goes out into this world and as he teaches his disciples the gospel and as they spread the gospel, the gospel is going to spread much like how a farmer takes seeds out into his field and spreads those seeds well, not every seed is going to fall on the best soil. Sometimes those seeds are going to fall on the road and the birds just take them away. Sometimes those seeds fall on rocky soil. They just don't get the roots that they need to have a good harvest. Some of those seeds fall on soil that's covered in thorns and they grow up with the, with the thorns and the briars and, and they get choked out. And then some of those seeds are going to fall on good, well-cultivated soil. And all of that teaches us how people hear and listen to the gospel. Some people hear the gospel and it just bounces right off of them, just like seeds on the road. Some people hear the gospel, but they, they, it's just like rocky soil. You know, it, it, they, they're excited about it, but when tribulation happens, when persecution comes, it just it just fades away. It gets scorched by the sun and, and, and it doesn't make it. Some people hear the gospel like seeds that fall in that soil with all the thorns and and everything you just got so many things going on in your life it just gets choked out you're too distracted you never pay attention and so the the gospel just gets choked out in your life and and doesn't last so this is an opportunity for us to do two things when we study these parables it's an opportunity to learn how the kingdom of God works but it's also a time to self-reflect and so we're like, oh, okay, this is why some people believe the gospel and some people don't. But it's also a time to, to say, oh, wait, do I listen like this? Does the gospel just bounce off of me? Is, is the gospel something that never really takes root in, in my life? Is the gospel something that just gets choked out because I get too distracted all the time? Am I listening to the gospel the way that I should? So these parables, they function in, in such a fruitful way. To, and so we want to we think through these things critically. And we want, to, we want to ask ourselves these really difficult questions as we study through the gospel so that we can make sure our, he, our ears work like well-cultivated soil. The weeds have been pulled. Everything has been, we've worked the ground, and we can truly hear what God has for us. And so, have you done that today? Are you ready to put in that work today? To work the ground of listening. Are you ready to do that? Yeah, I, if if I said I was ready to do that every time I came to church, I would be such a liar, right? And I bet you would too. Some days you come in here, you're in the zone. Some days not so much. But no matter where you're at on that spectrum today, I just want, to con- want you to reconsider and just get in the zone, prayerfully get in the zone and be ready to study God's word together because I really believe that this teaching it's so helpful in understanding what Jesus has come to do, and it's so helpful for us to self-reflect and, and again, examine our own hearts and minds. So we're, we're, we're going to look at uh, three paragraphs, verses 21 through 34. We, we got roughly three paragraphs here. The first paragraph, it's where we get that song, This Little Light of Mine. And and, right, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. That's that's uh, and really that little paragraph. That's kind of devotional commentary on that parable, parable of the sower we just talked about. And paragraph two is a new parable about the growing seed, and paragraph three is a parable of the mustard seed. We're gonna quickly go over those as well. So let's get into the first paragraph here. Very familiar text: the lamp under the basket. And uh, remember, this is coming off of the, the coattails of the parable of the sower, that, that most known parable, probably, you know, one of the most known parables because it's one of the first ones we read in the Gospels. And, and this is kind of, um, it, it's, it's, it's right after that and speaking to that. So let's just, let's go into the first couple of verses here in 21 through 23. It says, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears, let him hear. Okay, so if you truly do hear this gospel that Jesus brought, and you really are listening to the kingdom that he, listening about what he's teaching about this kingdom that he's ushering in, this should make a difference in your life. You, you have a light. You are, when you live with this belief, you are living with a light, and you should be taking that light into the world in a very special way so that it can shine in the darkness of that world. And we have to be careful as to how we do that. I always wonder, like, when Jesus taught this, I mean, we, we read these teachings so quickly. And, like, when we study things like the, the Sermon on the Mount where he also taught this, you know, all these different teachings of Jesus, sometimes he asks these rhetorical questions. Uh, and I always wonder if he didn't deliver them with a little bit of humor. Like we can, you know, do you light a lamp and put it under, underneath the bed? It's funny, right? I mean, we think of the, that in modern day term, uh, terms. If you had a noise last night and you grabbed your flashlight, did you turn on that flashlight and then smother it with a pillow and then go investigate? No, we know what flashlights are for, Right. And so you just wonder, like, when Jesus talks about this, I I can't help but just wonder. I, I just bet you he had a sense of humor. And when he would ask these rhetorical questions, it was meant to kind of get a little chuckle out of the crowd. That's neither here nor there. But, you know, when you live with the light of the gospel, it's meant to shine. So does it shine in your life? You don't light a lamp. They would have these These uh, lamps with oil in them, you wouldn't light that lamp and then put it under a basket or under the bed. It doesn't make any sense. It's made to be utilized. We have been given this gift of the gospel that's meant to shine. It's meant to be used. And it's God's means by which he shines his light in this world. Do you see yourself as that lamp, as a means by which God shines in this world? He says, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. We were meant to take this gospel into the world. And, and we've talked about this messianic secret that Jesus is living with here. It's slowly being revealed. Well, as people learn the gospel and they take that light into the world, that is the means by which this is revealed to the world. The gospel is meant to be revealed through us. We are vessels that take this gospel into the world, and we want to do so in a very specific way. We want to shine in a specific way. We want to be careful as to what we say and what we do, or we might say and do those things for the wrong reasons. What, what motivates you to shine this light? I think how you shine this light in the world is a direct, there's a direct correlation to that and, and, and what motivates you to see this light shine in the world. I want to read to you the parallel. And when I say parallel, remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have some of the same teachings because they're four different books that are telling the same story. And so you'll see uh, some details in some of these gospels that you don't see in the other. And so sometimes when you read a teaching in one gospel, you can look for that same teaching in another gospel and you might get a little more or a little less And so in this case, in Matthew, when he mentions this teaching from Jesus, it's actually included in that Sermon on the Mount I just mentioned. And here's what he says in Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Now listen to this. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So you need to live in such a way that people can see your good works, what you say and what you do. But you want to do so in a very specific way. Not so you get a pat on the back. Not so you're impressive. It's so that God's name is is made renowned. It's so God gets the attention. So Can we just be honest, that's hard to do. When we're fallen and broken like we are, we're sinful like we are, I think there's this kind of built-in inclination to live out good works and say good things and do good things and kind of make that about us. Like we're just inclined to make that about us. But he says when you shine this light in the world, make sure that people see those good works in a way that they give glory to your Father who is in heaven, not you. And we remember other people, other religious people of that day, like the Pharisees, they would do just the opposite. Remember Jesus, he would just rail on the Pharisees. He would just rail on them. He would say things like, oh, the Pharisees, pay attention to how they practice their faith. Those Pharisees, they love to be seated in the place of honor. Oh, they just soak that up. They love it. They bask in it. Those Pharisees, they love to be seen They practically break their arm, patting themselves on the back. They love to be revered. They love people to pay attention to them. They love it when people call them rabbi. They love to be impressive. And what's Jesus say in Matthew 23 after saying all of those things about the Pharisees? He said, Here's reality the greatest among you shall be your servant. That's, That's reality. You want to be great? You need to be the servant. So we need to be so careful as we take this light into the world that we do so very sp- in a very specific way. We want to do so in a way that draws attention to God and not us. Or else I really feel like our faith can become so counterproductive and self-deceiving. And so, again, you, do you want to invite conviction into your life today? Ask yourself some difficult questions. Why did you come here today? Why, what motivates you to understand the word of God right now? Why are you putting money in the offering box? Why are you serving in the nursery? Why take the time to help serve the church in a special way like tear down or something like that or serve as an elder or as a deacon? Why are you doing these things? What motivates you? I think if we don't continuously ask ourselves these questions, it can so Easily get us on a path where we do everything for the wrong reason. We can fool ourselves into thinking we're worshiping God, but we're really just making much of ourselves. We we ask ourselves these questions to stay on task. We need to pay attention. That's what Jesus says next here in Mark 4. Continue with me in 24 through 25. He says, and he said to them, 'Pay, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That's a little confusing, isn't it? There's, there's, there's some things happening here in the text that are difficult for us to understand in English. So I'm gonna, I'll, I'll try to flesh it out. To, to, to boil it down, he's saying, hey, pay attention to what you hear and how you believe and what you do so that you do things for the right reasons. And so if, if you aren't paying attention, and we're, I'm going to flesh this out more here shortly, but if you aren't paying attention to what you hear, you're not going to be the light in, in the way that you were intended to be, right? And, and a lot of times I think, again, professing Christians, they aren't living out their faith with the right motivations because they, they just aren't paying attention to what the Bible's teaching, They're not paying attention to how they should live out this life. And if you aren't paying attention when it comes to Christianity, you can wander off into all sorts of crazy stuff under the umbrella of Christianity. I I was hanging out with some pastors last week in uh, Cincinnati. There was a group of us within Acts 29, which is that church planting network that we're a part of. And we got uh, several of us from Indiana, Kentucky, Ohio, Ohio. Uh, all together and we got a cabin and just hung out and caught up and, and talked about ministry. And anytime you get a group of pastors together like that, you know, we're swapping, we're swapping war stories and <laughs> things like that. And what we're just talking about are uh, somehow we got on the conversation of just like some of the crazy things that have happened early on in our faith and how we got to where we are right now. And one guy grew up in, a, in just a very, very uh, hyper charismatic uh, church. And he, he was finally coming to the point in which he was just starting to, to dabble in Christianity. Now, again, if you just dabble in Christianity, you can end up all sorts of different places. But he was just kind of trying to figure himself out and figure out the faith. And he was just kind of dabbling in Christianity and started to associate with this church because it was the one that made sense. He had some family that went there and he had some friends that went there and things like that. And he told this story. It was the weirdest story I may have ever heard about a Sunday morning service, and it, it, I don't know. I, I couldn't help but share it. But he said, he said that this church brought in a prophet from Australia. So again, this is a Pentecostal church, very, uh, very, very, very like off the charts charismatic. They bring in a prophet from Australia to prophesy over them, and this prophet, what he, he the way that he would prophesy over you is that he would, he had a flute and he would play this flute. And play like a some sort of riff or melody, and then tell you something about your future uh, pertaining to your relationship with God. I am not making up this story, okay? This is really what was happening. And so this flute player from Australia, who was a self-proclaimed prophet, is on stage, and people are getting in line to be prophesied over, right? And he said, "I'm just kind of new in my faith, and I don't really know what's going on. I just thought this is what Christians did, and so I got in line." I, it was my turn, and I get up there, and me and my buddy are standing up there, and we're standing in front of this guy with his flute, and he, he starts playing this little lick on the flute, and, and, so he, and then he starts to prophesy over us, and, and then he says, and then he would, he would blow the wind of God at you, and, which was just him blowing air at you, it was, it was a lot of hot air, but it, it, anyway, he would say, he told him, he goes like, raise your shirt up, and he was like, oh, okay. And he was just a nervous wreck. And he actually, they had their shirts like, like, show me your stomach, he says. He's like, okay. And again, this is getting like creepy weird, right? And then he's, he would play his flute and then blow air onto his stomach. And then people started falling down around him. And he didn't know what was going on. He's like, I, everybody started falling down. He's like, I was frozen in fear. And, then, <laughs> and he said, I finally just fell over to make it end, right? It's just this really bizarre, but hey, if you just dabble in Christianity, who's to say what's right? Who's to say what's wrong? Is that the normative Christian experience? Is that, is that kind of what we should be doing here right now? How do you know the difference? How do you know heads or tails? What are you paying attention to, to be able to discern these things? You know, when some, some people tell me crazy stories like this, and, and they'll, t- they'll say, well, I tried church and it didn't work for me. And Well, if I hear a story like that, well, yeah, where did you try church? What did you experience? Maybe there's a reason it didn't work for you. If you just dabble in Christianity, you might end up all sorts of different places. Because if we're really being honest, under the umbrella of Christianity are a plethora of contradictory ideas, contradictory teachings, contradictory practices, contradictory doctrines. How do you sort through it all? What it, what's the standard? How do you know what's right and what's wrong? Jesus says, pay attention to what you hear. What are you listening to? What has Jesus been talking about in these parables? How we hear the gospel. How we hear, in his words, the word of God. If we don't use the word of God to filter everything that we hear, if we don't pay attention to the word of God as we discern the Christian faith, we could end up anywhere, right? If if you don't believe in anything, you'll you'll fall for everything. It's the word of God that Jesus is bringing attention to here. Pay attention to the word of God. Is the word of God what's informing your beliefs? Or is it a flute player from Australia or whatever? What, What is to say what's right and wrong? We want to filter what we believe through the word of God. Is that what you're listening to. Over and over and over again in the New Testament, you hear them come back to that message. I mean, they just, the New Testament authors just harp on that over and over and over. Filter everything you believe through the word of God. Believe the word of God. People are going to wander off in the strange myths and all sorts of bad doctrines and teachings if you don't pay attention to the word of God. Filter it through the word of God. And so if, if we just dabble in Christianity, we may, we could end up someplace really weird out in left field. But if you really pay attention to the Word of God, it helps us to avoid those wrong turns. I think it, apart from the Word of God, we we're, we're tend to focus on our own glory and pat ourselves on the back and make it about our good works. But when we're paying attention to the Word of God, if that's what motivates us, we're going to pay attention to it even more. I mean, it's really... I mean, if you're paying attention to the word of God in your faith, like being a part of a scriptural study of of the Bible each and every week is going to become more and more important to you. Because if the word of God helps you sort through your beliefs, you, you learn that this is really all just about his glory. And so the more you study God's word, the more you make much of who God is. Because that's what the Bible is about. It's about his glory and exclusively about his glory. And so even when it comes to good works and good things that we say, it's all about drawing attention to who God is. Now, Jesus said this line uh, that was kind of confusing here. He says, by the measure you measure, you will be measured. And even more will be added. What does that mean? By the measure you measure, you will be measured And even more will be added. Now, this is actually used in a couple different places, and it's for a couple of different reasons, because this was kind of a saying of the day. There's actually a play on words here in the original Greek that we can't see in the English language. But when when he's talking about the measure that you measure with, he's referring to, like, scales in the marketplace. So when you would go to the marketplace and you wanted to purchase grain or, or whatever it may be, they would have measuring scales there. And so a man's integrity was kind of it was evident through the scales that he used because in the marketplace people were no- notorious for rigging these scales so that people made more money for what they were selling than what they were really owed and so y- if if you had honest scales you were a good person and so by the measure if you're using honest scales here if you're if, if by the measure you measure that's what's going to be measured against you and so this, this was a saying and an understanding they had in that culture that said whatever, just like, he, what, you know, whatever gold you would give, that would determine how much grain you get. Whatever you give is, is directly cor- correlated to what you receive. He's saying the same thing about the word of God. Like what you put into it is what you'll get out of it. Only, only, only there's more, right? He said, and even more will be added to you. So you get back what you give. So when you put in the time and the energy to study the word of God, there's going to be a return on your investment. That's what he's saying. And not only will there be a a direct return on your investment, even more will be added to you. There's an extreme blessing that he throws on the end there that when you put this time and effort into understanding the word of God... We will receive that discernment and that understanding in the way that he intended, and you will be blessed even beyond that. But then he goes on to say, from those who have not, even what he has will be taken away. Well he, he throws that on there to say that if you don't put in that time and that effort to hear the word of God and to discern through the word of God, then you're not going to get a return on that investment because you didn't put anything into it. You're not going to have this understanding you were meant to have. You're going to be hearing like all of those other soils. It's not going to work. And he's saying if you don't utilize the word of God, you're going to lose the word of God. Use it or lose it. That's what he's saying there at the end of that. Now, is this sermon just about me harping on you to read your Bibles? And you don't read your Bible enough. You would say, I know I don't read my Bible enough. <laughs> you, don't, you don't pray. You're not disciplined enough. You don't pray enough. I know. If you told me all those things, I would, I would have the same response. How, how could I ever be satisfied with the amount of God's word that I know and study? How could I ever be satisfied with the amount of time I pray and, and spend with, with the Lord? We should never be satisfied. We should always be pursuing that more and more. But it's easy when we hear this hard teaching from Jesus, just this really straightforward, as a matter of fact, hey, put in some work to get the results you want kind of teaching, It it can be discouraging. You might be sitting there and thinking, man, I've tried to read my Bible. I I don't get the results I want. I don't feel as changed as what I think I should feel. I don't feel like I have this return and some on that investment of time. And so I get discouraged and it falls by the wayside and I end up not reading my Bible at all. Hey, man, I try to pray. I try to pray about everything, but I just forget to pray. Or I pray, and it, and it feels like my prayers aren't answered. Or, or things, I, I feel like, you know, I, I pray, and I pray, and I pray, and I don't see the results from that. And so I get discouraged. So if you're just telling me to read my Bible more and pray more, I've heard it, I've tried, and I, I'm just, I feel like I'm doing something wrong because I don't feel like Billy Graham right now exactly after the time I've invested. You know, we, we want these results really quick but listen it's it's not like that Jesus has more to teach here it takes time it takes time and we need to be patient follow with me in the parable of the, gro- of the seed growing here in 26 through 29 and he said the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground he sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts up and grows he knows not how the earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So he's saying, hey, it takes time. Growing faith and, and living out your faith, it's like farming. It's it's slow, slow, consistent work. I mean, it's like he's 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 playing off that parable of the sower still, right? It's still a farming analogy going on here, but it's from a different angle. Now, this is an important teaching in, De- in Jesus' day because there was a, a belief that people lived with in the Jewish culture that when this Messiah showed up, it would be suddenly and there would be, the, you know, the, the restoration of Israel would happen immediately. And there was this belief that um, things would be made right in a very quick way. All right. And so uh, that, that was the expectation. There'd be judgment immediately. And so he's like, hey, actually, when it comes to um, this kingdom that I'm ushering in, it's more like farming. First there's the blade, then there's the ear, then there's the ear full of grain, and and then eventually there's a harvest. There's a season of time that needs to take place that you need to work through, and it's going to grow in ways that you don't know how. And so that's, that's the zoomed out reason why he said that, but when you you zoom in and you examine yourself, here's what we need need to be thinking. How how disciplined are we in our spiritual growth and how patient are we in that spiritual growth? I mean, again, I, I I wish that my spiritual maturity would just happen overnight and that I would be this like disciplined, amazing man the rest of my life, but that is yet to happen, right? It feels... It feels like I'm watching the grass grow sometimes when it comes to living out my faith. Maybe you feel like that too. We know how farming works, right? You got to work the earth. You got to, just like when you plant that garden, you got to keep working that ground. You got to go back and pull the weeds. And then you pull more weeds. And then you see growth and you realize that's just more weeds. I got to keep pulling. And then finally the plant comes. And then finally there's a harvest, but this takes time. We've got to let God do His thing. He will do it. But you know, what did you expect? Did you expect to come to church once a month and then all of a sudden you're going to feel like this amazing spiritual leader in your household? I may have been that naive at once, right? Did you expect to, to pray every other night and then all of a sudden you got the best prayer life for the rest of your life? Is that what you expected? But what you're feeling is like you're on this roller coaster. There's highs and lows. It, it just takes time. I think, again, I, I think one of the reasons we, get, we grow so discontent, you and I, especially in American culture, our culture has attached so much hype and so much hyperbole to the Christian experience that we feel like if something sensational isn't happening in our church, there must be something wrong with our church. If something sensational isn't happening in my life spiritually, I must be wrong. I'm, I must be just going backwards in everything I believe. But Jesus says, hey, listen, this experience in the kingdom of God, it's more like farming. It's more like farming. So just be patient. Be disciplined. Have you ever worked on a farm? I, I mention all the time I worked on. When you grew up in, in southern Indiana, everyone works on a farm. I, I grew up and this small rural community, and it's just all a bunch of hillbillies. Hillbillies are awesome, by the way. I love hillbillies. And but and when you grow up with a bunch of hicks and stuff like that and working on farms, it's great. But you there's work. I worked on... Uh, I'm, farmers are just begging you to work. Uh, I worked on potato farms. I worked on watermelon farms, pig farms, cantaloupe farms, all sorts of different farms. And, man, it's just uh, some, some of the most um, mundane work sometimes, <laughs> working on a farm. Um, but to be a good farmer, man, you got to be able to do the same thing every day. got to grind every day. It's the grind. You're doing the same thing day in, day out. One of the most, like, excruciatingly uh, boring jobs that I ever did working on a farm, when you, when you grow up working on a watermelon farm, The reason they hire teenagers is to do all the work that they don't want to do, right? And so one of the things you do is you turn vines. I don't know if you've ever been on a watermelon farm, but the vines grow in every single direction. And so, like, in mid to late June, for, like, starting in mid to late June, for weeks, you go out into these fields. Like, some of these fields are, like, you know, 500,000 acres. Here's a stick, and you walk down every row, and where the vine is growing into the row where the tractor tires are going to go, you got to move that vine back onto the row where the watermelons are supposed to grow. Because if you don't, watermelons will just grow everywhere. So you got to go out there while the vines are still small enough that you can manipulate them, and you, keep, and, you, and you just keep turning these vines to make them in a straight row. And so all day... You get out there at like 5, 6 in the morning and you start turning vines. Why you have to start the day at 6 in the morning, I still don't know. I don't know. I'm like, why, why can't we start at 2 in the afternoon or something? We have to start at 6 a.m. Because you work for farmers. They don't care what you want to do the rest of your day. You start at 6 a.m. And you just turn the vine, turn the vine, turn the vine. It's like, oh, this is the worst job in the world. It doesn't make sense. You start questioning your life. But at the end of the season, it makes perfect sense. When the watermelons actually start growing, they get really big, and they're all perfectly in a straight row. The tractor and the wagon can drive right through that watermelon field without smashing any of the watermelons, and you can throw them on the wagon. It makes perfect sense in the end. But in the moment, it just feels like you're not accomplishing anything at all. And again, Jesus is teaching... Our faith is kind of like farming sometimes. It just feels like we go into prayer time and we go into reading our scripture and we're like, is this doing anything? I guess I'll do it again tomorrow. Is this accomplishing anything? My life is still hard. Is this worth it? I still got problems. Man, I, I... I went into prayer time because the Bible told me to pray instead of feeling anxious. So I pray but I still feel anxious. Am I accomplishing anything? We just keep working at it and working at it and we question ourselves routinely over and over. Am I doing any good whatsoever? Jesus says just know that this life in the kingdom it's like farming. It takes time. Be patient. Be disciplined. This will work out. I am doing a work here. This isn't about you. This is about me. This isn't about your kingdom and living out the perfect life right now. This is about my kingdom that I'm redeeming, and I have a plan for it in the end. There's another parable here, verses 30 through 34. He says, It says, and he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them and they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Life on the on on this earth, in the kingdom of Jesus, it grows like that mustard seed in the garden. It's something, it seems like something so small and so insignificant. But we keep working that garden, and, and the, the smallest of those seeds grows into the biggest plant amongst any of the other plants in that garden. That's what life in the kingdom is like. We can't always see how how grand things are gonna get. It doesn't always feel sensational, it doesn't even look sensational. But it it's God working out his plan. You think like, think of how small the Christian faith started. I mean, you think how big it is today, all over the planet Earth right now. Christians are gathered in every country on the planet worshiping and studying the same passage we're studying right now, all over in all these different languages and all these different contexts. And if you think, you talk about the kingdom of God starting out like a mustard seed, like we're getting ready to study next week when Jesus calms the storm. All that amounted to Christianity at that point were a few fishermen on a boat about ready to die in a storm. Just If, if the storm would have wiped them out, it's over. None of this happens. It, it was just like a little mustard seed, and, and it grew all over the planet earth. I mean, this kingdom that Jesus is ushering in, it so small and seemingly insignificant and grew into something so mighty and that's how it works in our life too we want to cultivate this word into our life these christian practices into our life and sometimes when we do them they they seem like they're not doing anything they seem like they're they're so insignificant but god is utilizing them to do his work it's going to grow we we don't even know how it's going to grow sometimes we just do those things like god i don't even know how you're going to use this I studied this scripture and I don't even understand. I don't even know how you're going to use this. But then he does. And he has and he will again. It's how he works. This faith can start so small. But let me t- at the end of at the end of your life, like when you, when you die, these small little seemingly insignificant works in your life are going to be the most meaningful thing of your life. It's it's this faith that will bring meaning to everything you did. It's this small little mustard seed faith that you live with that brings meaning to everything that you experience in your your entire life. It started out so small, it was seemingly insignificant at times, but it'll be the most worthwhile thing of your existence in the end. And so we're going to go into a time of communion that seems like another one of these small insignificant practices. It's just a wafer of bread. It's just a little sip of juice. It seems so small. It's such a quick moment amongst your work week. But this is what brings everything meaning. It's it's the gospel that it points us to, the righteousness of Christ that we have faith in and the atonement of Christ that we have faith in, that our sins were punished on the cross and his righteousness was given to us. So when we stand before God, Everything has meaning and we are seen as clean because of Jesus, not because of us. Let's pray and we'll go into a time of worship. Lord, I thank you for, for this time together in your word. And we, we thank you for your teachings that instruct us about the kingdom of God and how it works. Lord, each of us in here, we struggle with patience, and, and Lord, when it comes to our faith, we grow impatient in so many ways. Things don't, some things don't pan out the way we want them to, some things don't develop in our lives the way they, that we want them to, but Lord, we know that you are doing a work, you are doing a work in this world and in our hearts, and we put our faith and our trust in you, not in our works, but in your works. We put our faith our faith in the finished works of your Son, in his life and on the cross. It's all sufficient, Lord. We don't need to add anything to it. And Lord, that gives us the hope to live with. That gives us the hope to keep going, even when it seems we're not going anywhere. We know that, Lord, you have brought us to the finish line. You will get us there and have gotten us there. And that's what we want to put our faith and hope in today. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray.